1: Here in Romans chapter 2, Paul deals with our sin in a rather unique illustrative way by comparing our hearts to the circumcision that was required by the Jews centuries ago. Join us. Abounding Grace is next. Circumcision, a cutting away of the flesh. The Apostle Paul uses this to show us that there should be a circumcision of our hearts, a cutting away of the sin. And here in Romans chapter 2, he does just that. With a message called Circumcised Hearts, we invite you to join us today here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It's our look at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast.
2: We've already seen in Romans that the preaching of the gospel is God's power unto salvation. It has lost none of its power to this very day. Our Lord Jesus Christ has the dew of his youth. He has all the glory, the power, the majesty, the wisdom, the light, the vitality, and the energy Of that same morning, he walked out of the tomb over 2,000 years ago. He has no diminished glory, authority, or power. Now, on our part, some of the glory of the gospel can be choked out. We can put a thick veil over it if we reduce it to religious words and ceremonies and moralisms and social crusading All the ways the church, at least in this country and for a couple of hundred years now, has basically made the gospel more of a naturalistic movement of men rather than a supernatural revelation from Almighty God. Beloved, we have to remember that the gospel is not clay that we can shape according to our own whims and fears. But it is the rock of God upon which we will either fall in faith and be saved, or that rock will fall upon us and dash us to pieces. Now, many of the ways we have obscured the glory of the gospel, we see Satan's hands in it, no doubt. He is the arch deceiver. He is the father of lies, theological lies, moral lies, Spiritual lies, they all come from him just as much as the lies of the world do. But of course, we also have to recognize in this that by our own ingratitude, we have not held firmly to the purity of the gospel, that we have compromised with the world, that we have been too ingrown in our own thoughts and feelings. So, in our own country in the West, if we are to die a thousand deaths of tyranny and slavery to our sin, understand that at the root of this is the church's failure to defend, to proclaim, to confess, and to live the pure gospel of God from heaven. For it is indeed the power of God unto salvation. Now, of course, we can expect the world to hate this gospel, we know we pray in times of national calamity. Oh, Lord, use this calamity to turn men to yourself. But calamities do not turn men to God. Calamities do not turn men to God because for calamities to turn men to God, you have to have eyes to see who sent the calamities. Everyone asks, why did this happen? Why is not the right question. The right question is, what does God want to do to humble us in the dust by sending this calamity? What are our sins? How have we violated His word? But we cannot see to ask these questions unless God gives us the new birth and removes the spiritual scales from our eyes. When we see not only the world's blindness, but we see the blindness within the church because we don't want the pure gospel. We want pep rallies. We want slip marketing. We want social causes. We want all these things. But we should see what we are actually doing is selling our heavenly inheritance inheritance for a massive worldly pottage. And it calls for the most severe repentance on the part of those who know the Lord. Because Jesus said, here is my gospel. You possess and occupy until I come. Don't change my gifts. Don't change my talents. Don't change my gospel. Don't look around and ask, what will men like God's gospel better Don't ask any such questions. You just hold on to the talent I have gifted you to, God says, and use it and you promote it, you speak it, you grow it so that when I come, I might receive back my own with increase. And that increase is that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory as the waters cover the sea. Beloved, God's gospel is going to break forth again. It has not lost any of its power. We, the church, may have lost faith in it, but it has not lost any of its power. What we need is for God to kindle in our hearts again a love for that gospel, humility to receive it with meekness, and we need for Him to restore our hunger within the church, for the preaching of the pure gospel of God. Because, beloved, understand that the church services are not for unbelievers. Let me just say it boldly and clearly. Church services are where God's people meet together. Those whom God gathers together are those who have made a covenant with him by righteousness. Now, unbelievers may come in. But the main reason the church gathers together and hears God's gospel preached week after week is so that our lives may be transformed. We might hold on to that gospel more firmly, love it and adore it as our treasure. And then from there speak and compel and urge those in the highways and the byways to come to Mount Zion, the church to be taught of God's law. Not to be entertained, not to be appeased, not to feel better about their problems, but to be taught from God's own blessed mouth. And what does God teach us? One of the main promises in all of Scripture is found in Ezekiel chapter 36. And it has direct bearing on the text that we'll be focusing on today, Romans 2, 25 through 29. How in the world can Paul say to the Jews, you're not a Jew? What? It was because they didn't have the heart of a Jew. Look at what God says uh, he's going to do in Ezekiel 36, 26. This is one of those great Old Testament promises of the new covenant. Verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water Upon you, and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness, and from all of your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart will I put within you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments. And do them. What did the Savior come preaching? What did he say to Nicodemus in John 3, 5? You must be born again. In Luke 17, 21, he said, The kingdom of God is within you. You see, when our Savior came preaching, it was the same thing in the Old Testament, and that is, God has done all the work of inner renewal. He has to make dead men living men. He has to make stony, rocky, rebellious hearts soft, teachable, and obedient hearts. And here is the great glory of the gospel. And without this transformation, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 6. Here you have our Lord's own assessment of men without this being born again from on high, without this being born again by the power of God's Spirit, what are we? John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And then verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto you that you must be born again. You see, until we have this new heart, Until we have this inner renewal, we are nothing but flesh. And what is it to be flesh? It is to be fallen, corrupted, blind in our sins, and condemned. To be in the flesh is to be in rebellion against God's majesty. It is to have a heart that does not pant after God's commandments, but rather pants after our own silly desires. It is to be be cut off from his fellowship. To be in the flesh is to be left to our own wisdom in our homes, our businesses, our communities, in market collapses, in school shootings, and so on. That is what it is to be in the flesh. We are left to nothing but our own wisdom, which is not only a stench in God's holy nostrils, but it also destroys everything it touches. Without this new birth, every attempt at personal, moral improvement, is a waste of time. Every single attempt without a new birth, including all of the religious observances in the world, are a waste of time. Why? Because they cannot cleanse the corrupt root of our hearts. They cannot take away any of our blindness and darkness, any of our hatefulness towards God or our rebellion against him. It is like Jesus said in Matthew 7, a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. And the only way to get good fruit is to have a good tree made so by the operation of the power of God. So we can scream about social calamities and And causes all we want to in our day and age. But understand, at the heart of the Christian gospel is this confronting fact. Dead men don't want to change. Dead men don't want improvement. Dead men do not want restraint. All of the pleas of all of the pagan fixes such as, feel better about this and don't worry so much in calamities is a total waste of time. And until God plucks out of our fallen, corrupt hearts that nasty, twisted, leprous, cancerous root of rebellion and plants there his own kingdom, there is no change. It is God's work. He is the only one who can do this. That is why Jesus says twice in John 3 and John 5, what is translated in the King James that born again means to be born from on high. To be born from above is God's own work. Let's look at Second Corinthians 4 6 to see what Paul compares to the new birth. He actually compares it to creation. And what did God do at creation? And by the way, this is another proof, indirect, but nonetheless, in my mind, impossible to overcome that the world was created in six days about 6,000 years ago out of absolutely nothing because of the comparison Paul makes to regeneration here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of his glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Remember the comparison. In the beginning there was nothing but darkness. And God calls light to shine out of the darkness. Out of nothing. It is the same thing he does to us when he gives us a new heart. In place of our deadness, he gives us life. In place of our darkness, he gives us light. In place of our rebellion, he gives us teachableness. Now listen closely. This is the essence and the glory of the Christian gospel. God's renewing, regenerating, redeeming, born from on high work, and giving life to men who are dead in their sins. Dead men have no hope. Paul describes them in Ephesians 2. They are without God and they are utterly unable to know and to please Him. And true religion builds on the foundation of God's regenerating, renewing work and grace in the heart of a dead man. And all of other gospels are dead and empty and impotent. All religious ordinances and observances that attempt to obey His word All elevated religious sentiment, all this is worthless and it will incur his wrath because until he makes us spirit, we are corrupt flesh. Until he makes us clean, we are filthy. Until he gives us a new heart, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is our hopeful gospel message our unparalleled announcement to the world, a world that still lies in darkness and is still led captive by the devil to do his will. God rescues sinners. God makes dead men alive. God forgives and cleanses the filthy through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he makes them righteous through his obedience imputed to us. So ours is a gospel of renewal. Ours is a gospel of hope. Ours is the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of man. It's not a gospel we can put our fingers on and figure out how men would like to do it better today. The moment we start doing that is the moment the gospel ceases being the power of God unto salvation. Because our fingers make Everything filthy that they touch. There is one gospel, and God gave it from heaven. It is the gospel of the new birth. It is the gospel of our Savior. You must be born again. And that is the gospel we are called upon to present to this world. It is the hope of condemned men and sinners, it is the hope of condemned cultures. It is the hope when there is a calamity. God makes alive. Behold, says the Son of God, I make all things new. Behold, says the new, the Holy Spirit, I give new hearts that beat with love for God and the new blood of guilt removed, cleansing righteousness and a desire to obey God. Now this has ever and only been the gospel that God saves sinners and he cleanses men from the inside and gives them new hearts. And even though this is the gospel God has taught his people from the beginning, the Jews wickedly forgot it over and over again. They shouldn't have. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, you see this is what Moses told them at the very beginning, that mean old law-giving Moses. He said, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, we see one of the great promises of the old covenant. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of your seed or your children. To love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul that thou may live. Do you see it's never sufficient to just possess circumcision by itself? Alone, it is never sufficient. The sign of circumcision, the outward clipping away of the male foreskin, was always to lead God's people higher to the spiritual reality to which it bore witness. And what is that witness? A heart cleansed. A heart caught from its filthy root. And upon that heart God's law is written so we can be submissive to him and love him. That's what circumcision was supposed to teach them. But it didn't. Why? Because our hearts were filled with pride. Circumcision became merely a badge of national identity. It was even said throughout the Jewish writings that no one who is circumcised as a Jew will ever go to hell under any circumstances. This is our badge. We cling to this. And that is why by the time the prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others, even until the time of the latter prophets, all had, had come declaring destruction. They had also come telling the faithful remnant of God's people in very strong language that God had not forgotten, forgotten his original promise to them, his original promise to give them a new heart. He says, I'm going to do that. God said, I realize you are living in the midst of a people for whom externalism is everything. You know, keeping up appearances, keeping up ceremonies, Keep up your national badge of we are circumcised. We are God's people. We are secure. But God hasn't forgotten what he promised to do back through Moses. Turn to Jeremiah 31 and you will see it is written large in God's holy word that God preserved for us a covenant. God never forgot this. And he never wanted his people to forget what the gospel is and what circumcision pointed to. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one says, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord... But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. This was ever the heart of biblical religion. Moses promised it. The the, uh, prophets renewed it. So much so. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 10 that Jesus put Nicodemus right to the test. Notice after we already looked at the verse, you must be born again, verse 9 of John 3, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to them, how are you a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Are you a teacher of Israel? Nicodemus, you've forgotten that the whole heart of what God promised to do with his people was to give them new hearts that are soft and pliable and teachable and upon which God's word was written. Have you forgotten this? This is the essence, Nicodemus, of biblical religion. If you didn't learn this... All of your diplomas are a waste of time. So go home and read Moses. Go back and read to Jeremiah. Go back and read the prophets. They never tell God's people, listen, you're not doing enough external things. Or you're not offering enough sacrifice. God never tells them that. He says, where. Is your heart? Why don't you love me? With all these blessings that I have poured upon you, why is life and your miserable existence still all about you? Why don't you love me? Why don't you give me your heart? Do you not understand Nicodemus? You shouldn't be teaching if you think biblical religion consists in external things, prideful things, nationalistic things, great social movements. You should not be teaching because that is not what biblical religion consists of. Its heart and its high watermark and its deepest work is for God in his omnipotence to take away our stony hearts